The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Welcome to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. You've just been listening to Body Talk by Foxes. So my name's Catherine and I'm your host for tonight's show, along with my lovely co-presenter, Emma. Hello. And tonight we're talking about body dysmorphic disorder and how we can all cultivate a better, more positive body image and help young people to do the same. So we are particularly delighted to give a warm welcome to tonight's guest. We have Amari Eccleston-Brown in the studio. Hi, Amari. Thanks so much for joining us. First up, though, before we go into our main topic, as our regular listeners know, we always do a gripe or a mini celebration of the week. Does anyone have a gripe or mini celebration? I've got a gripe. It of is, course. It is actually slightly body image related, I've realised. So recently I did my nails. I have nail club in my house sometimes. Got a big box of nail polishes. And I thought I'm going to splash out and go for the toenails as well. But I don't know if you've experienced this, but my baby toenail, my baby toe, in <laughs> fact, is quite like pyramidal in shape. Do you know what I mean? It gets to a, a fine point at the end of it. Oh, it's sort of triangular. Or, yes, but, but, it's, but it's, it's pyramidal because it's a it's three-dimensional <laughs> toe. But yeah, but it also means that my toenail, my baby toe is so small, like there's not even room to do like a splodge of paint. Oh, so it's, it's lacking the whole the toe. The whole goes, toe is a that's, pyramid. That's um, very common. <laughs> Thank you. I feel Because really sometimes if you go for a pedicure, they file it that way, don't they? To make it pyramidal? Yeah. No, I'm talking a about a whole toe. A lot of people have that. It's yeah. Not- <laughs> or maybe it's like the sh- type of shoe that you wear but it kind of <laughs> yeah it goes into like an intentional point. thing yes i i doubt that people are trying for that look but i'm i'm ready to be surprised does anyone else have a gripe my gripe is that i now have a leeds united themed mirror in my flat hanging up on the wall and i'm not really a leeds united fan and i don't really follow football but this beautiful item was given as a present to my boyfriend from his grandfather so it's a mirror and it has the lyrics of the hit Leeds football anthem, Marching On Together, written on it. And underneath it says, Pride of Yorkshire. So it's like something, you, you know, when you go in a pub and there's a sort of glass mirror thing with writing on it. And it says, you know, like the beer brand or whatever. It's basically a pub item that he's either stolen from a pub. Um, so anyone in Yorkshire who's missing this item, you know, get in touch. Um, or it's from a car boot sale. But it's absolutely massive. And it's now in my flat. So I've, I'm learning to love it, but it's kind of a gripe. That's a good point. All our Yorkshire fans who are <laughs> listening and you want to get in touch with the show and, and gripe about your lack of a mirror, we're um, at VLW Radio on Twitter. But it's also kind of a mini celebration because the bathroom was lacking a large mirror. And this is very large. It was lacking a celebration of Leeds United as well. Absolutely. And I, th- I think that, um, that you know, they've been doing quite well in the last few weeks, so I hear. Um, so <laughs> maybe the mirror has brought good fortune all round. Amari, do you have a gripe or a mini celebration? <laughs> the main gripe that I have, it, keeping in the, the, the theme of toes, I, mean, I got a bit worried when you said that they're filing people's toes in manicure places. <laughs> Into thought, a pyramidal shape. I thought, that's definitely, that's a weird business plan. Um, <laughs> but no, I um, I went back to to dance. I'd been off dance for a while and I went back. And I mean, this isn't exactly joyous or even fun, but I just got the biggest blister I've ever got in my life. Oh, they're very like, painful. But like 
the size of basically my foot. It was like walking on an insole. It mm. was um. That kind of sounds comfy, yeah. but it probably wasn't. Not a good insole. <laughs> not a good. Yeah, not, a, not <laughs> a an insole. An insole. <laughs> yeah, sort of insole that you'd buy after you've had your toe shot, uh, kind of filed into filed the pyramid. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I wish you the best of luck with your <laughs> giant blister. Thank you. Hopefully that will recover soon. Um, so on to our main topic. Um, I want to say a big thanks for coming on the show. Um, you know, we're really delighted to have you here. Um, over the last few weeks, you've been raising awareness of body dysmorphic disorder on social media. I've been following your posts. I've been finding them really fascinating um, and very moving as well. So I was just wondering if you could start us off by telling us actually what body dysmorphic disorder actually is and how you're going about trying to get people to learn more about it. Amazing. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for, for following the campaign and thank you for what you've said. And we've talked sort of privately and it's, you yeah. know, it really... Um, lots of people have been sort of reaching out to me and it and it really makes the difference. Um, so body dysmorphic disorder or BDD, um, I mean, I can give you the, the clinical um, definition is, is an obsession or a fixation with a perceived flaw, um, a part of your body. But I say it's the clinical one because it doesn't really get to it. It doesn't really get to the experience of when you have it. And the experience of when you have it is just that you become completely paranoid about being or feeling ugly and feeling hideous to the world, to yourself and to the world. And now the other thing is it can be attached to any body feature and including ones that you wouldn't expect. So if I were to ask you to sort of list parts of your body um, that you might imagine having a problem with, obvious ones might come out. You know, and some of the main ones that your nose, jawline, something like that. But it can be um, the length of your arms, it can be the fine hair on your neck. It just it will attach to anything. And but what is common to everybody that I know, I know people who, you know, are concerned by all different sorts of body parts. But it is just that real feeling of that that is hideous and it's abnormal, kind of freakish. Um, so in my own experience, I used to sort of think of myself as being like like the Elephant Man or like Quasimodo from that Disney movie. Um, and the experience of it is, yeah, one of kind of constant paranoia and feeling as though you want to sort of hide away or that people are laughing at you. And of course, when you, even when you're on your own, you don't get any respite because you can't really be with yourself. It's very hard to look in the mirror, photographs, and it's constantly on your mind. And just one other thing about it, which is also, and I've talked a lot about the way that it, it looks and the way your perception of how it looks, but also there's a way that it feels. For a lot of people who have BDD, it comes also with a sort of felt sense, they call it. And so there's you've, you're constantly aware of it feeling abnormal. And so even when you can't see it, there's an impression that it, it doesn't feel right. So it's like a physical sensation. Yeah. So how did it affect, or maybe does it affect your everyday life? And when did you kind of realize that it maybe wasn't something that everyone experienced? Yeah, I think it was much less the case of realising that it wasn't something that everybody experienced. It was the revelation for me was realising that other people experienced it because I just... it For me, it started when I was... I mean, I had a very brief... I mean, my story is slightly weird. I had a brief episode of it when I was 16. My dad actually got me a session of professional photographs and suddenly the kind of the thought process of, oh, wow, I'm going to have these photographs taking. I need to look good. Suddenly, it kind of, for me, it kind of sprung up out of nowhere. I hadn't really thought, hadn't 
had a negative body image before then, but at 16. But it only really lasted for like the sort of the week running up to the photographs and then the week waiting for the photographs to come out. And I was just incredibly anxious. But from 18, and it was just before going to university, it's sort of been constant. Um, but I had about, I would say, two and a half, three years of really not knowing what was going on within me at all. And I didn't have a diagnosis. I didn't know that it was body dysmorphic disorder. And I really just thought this was only happening to me. And, um, you know, and it wasn't until I actually discovered that I had BPD and went to a support group and sat down in a room with other people who had BPD for the first time. And I heard somebody talking, and it was literally him talking about picking out, plucking out the hairs on his arms one by one with tweezers. And it was an experience was unlike anything I've ever done, or, or I've never looked at my arms and thought that there was a problem there. And yet I could see in the way that he was talking about it, there was, he was like he was talking from my own head and I'd never had that experience. And so that was the thing that really made a difference. And it, it was so healing even that moment to know that there were other people that were going through this. Where do you see the line um, in your kind of own experience, but also through learning more about the condition and how it's diagnosed? Where's that line between someone who has, um, you know, quite clearly a mental health um, issue that needs um, support and someone who maybe they've been bullied or our society is very looks obsessed. And for some people, that obsession and those feelings might be a reaction against something in our culture and actually seem like maybe quite a rational thought process. Um, if you've been bullied uh, because you look a certain way and you've had that negativity, how is that maybe different to having something which is completely, you know, has come out of nowhere? So, I mean, there's kind of two separate issues. So it isn't necessarily, it can begin with bullying. It can begin with an identifiable event, which is, um, to you, uh, traumatic. So often it can begin with in adolescence or, or sort of, kind of around eight or even as young as sort of five where there's been some sort of negative reinforcement somebody said something it could be a random off-the-cuff comment which somehow you've attached to or could be sort of more prolonged bullying but the difference between that incident leading to um, worrying about the way that you look or you taking on that negatively in BDD is a question of scale um, it's about, you know, BDD is ranked also with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and it really is about the obsession. So when you do the questionnaires, which are form part of the diagnosis, it will ask you how long you spend doing these things. And it's also the really fundamental thing about BDD. It's the, the thought process. It's not only the obsession with looking a certain way, it's the fear of if you do look that way, what would happen? And it's the fear that, um, well, let me speak from my own experience, so it's not too sort of conceptual. So my own issue is I don't like my eyes. So things that I would do would be like, if I were to go outside, then people would think I was disgusting. People would run away from me. I used to think that children would actually kind of run away from me like they would a monster, and they would hide behind their parents' legs and things like that. And um, fundamentally, what I've been able to realize is that it was a fear that I would I would die, that if I were to actually confess the way that I felt I looked especially, that it would 
and it sounds really dramatic and really exaggerated, but fundamentally that was what the fear was. And to compare that to somebody who has OCD, for instance, you know, people in the media, there's a lot of sort of misconceptions about OCD. And if people like things a certain way, it's like, oh, you're so OCD, you're so, and it's sort of synonymous with being anal. But really what it is is that their thought processes, if they don't do these rituals, then somebody in their family might die. It's literally linked in their mind like that. If I don't count these things or if I don't have this certain order, then somebody will die or something literally heinous will happen. And it's the same thought process that happens with BDD. What I'm taking from that is that there's a huge element of trying to take control and or regain some kind of control. And um, you mentioned the quiz and there is a foundation, the Body Disorder Foundation, which has a quiz online that you can take to do a kind of self-assessment. Um, and if you score within a certain range, they do advise that you get in touch with someone who might be able to give a bit more of a full diagnosis. So um, I think we've all taken the quiz before. I did it um, the other day. My boyfriend did it as well. And you can score up to a possible uh, 72 on a scale and uh, ask you about some of your habits, about how often you sort of look in the mirror or think about a particular feature and so on. And on that scale, I scored 22. So um, the threshold um, advice on the website is that if you're over 30, then it might be the case that you have... Um, this particular condition but it might not be but that's a kind of general guide and what I find it really interesting doing this because I think what it showed me is that I don't I don't feel um, worried that I have this condition but I certainly do recognize that there are behaviors which a lot of people have which as you say there are scales and there are things which I probably don't like to think and that I do because maybe there are insecurities there or vulnerabilities. And it kind of surprised me actually how high that score was. So I felt like that was an interesting exercise because sometimes you kind of look around and go, oh, well, everyone does that. Everyone wants to wear makeup before they go and talk to people or whatever it is. And actually it's quite hard to interrogate that. Whereas my boyfriend did it and he got something like one or two. And he was looking at me going, I can't believe you do that. And I was thinking, this is something which actually on the show, we talk about things like makeup and fashion and hair and, you know, the line between enjoying yourself and being creative and also trying to maybe mask something or hide something. And it's it's very easy to try and hide that from yourself. Emma, how did you find doing um, the quiz? So I did the quiz and um, I, I scored, I think, about a 12. So it wasn't particularly high, but it definitely got me thinking about aspects of myself that I you know, feel insecure about and things that I maybe don't like about myself or try and hide from myself or in some situations would be trying to hide. So I was thinking about those things, which I can, you know, list for us now, if you like, um, which are like things like my teeth, my boobs, depending on the situation. Um, but it kind of also got me thinking, well, where did I get the perception of what the ideal of those things was? So I wonder if maybe we could kind of share like, you know, is it from peers? Is it from media? Like, I don't know, maybe Amari, especially you, the things th that you have issues with, perhaps, where do you get the ideal of those? I'm going to be honest, it's, it's funny. What's coming up for me now is that you ask the question and there's still this kind of fear thing because I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to talk specifically about my eyes. And then there's this thing of like, ah, this is nerve wracking. But it's brilliant because this is the whole point of kind of the campaign and the idea of sort of just being aware of the fact that anything is scary or 
and this kind of applies to anything that you kind of are afraid, but that's fine. And then you kind of do it anyway. So I think, and I actually did this exercise with my girlfriend the other day. I kind of listed all the things, and it was a long list of how I think eyes should be, how I think my eyes are. And there's a really powerful, and I really got that how powerful that word should is, that they should be this way. Um, so I think that, you know, eyes, one of my main things is rather than not eyes themselves, actually, i.e. the things that see, it's more actually the area underneath my eyes. So I have a perception of looking, having massive bags under my eyes and looking really tired. And so I think that I, that people are, would to the point of being hideous, um, rather than, you know, just a sort of, oh, a bad night's sleep or something. Um, and so the concept is that eyes should be um, alive and bright and sparkly and should be uh, completely smooth and wrinkle-free and they should be perfectly symmetrical. And, I mean, the list would go on and on and on. Um, and where I got that from, <sighs> that's so hard to say. I think I do know that there's certain people that I've... So, for instance... Uh, Maya Angelou, the the poet and the writer, and she's somebody that I is a role model for me, somebody I honour. But there's still this thing where I look at her and I also always notice her eyes. And so she's like, you know, even up to like 70 something. And I don't know whether this is the BDD talking or not, but this is my perception. And I'm like, wow, she's got such young looking eyes. And I'm like, I've got worse eyes than a 75 year old. And this is what my mind will say. And so there's also this thing of, a long time I've had this thing of, I'm young and I shouldn't have bags under my eyes. I shouldn't have, you know, I shouldn't have any sort of issues with my eyes because there's a certain thing which is looking youthful. And I should be able to, like my friends, a long time I spent, particularly at university, um, you know, when there would be, you know, about going out on the lash. And then I um, would feel, and then people would kind of tell me, oh, I only got an hour's sleep. And immediately I would look at their eyes and kind of go, does it look like they've had an hour of sleep? And I'd go, if I did the same thing, then I know I would look horrible. And I would feel a lot of resentment and actual anger towards them and bitterness that they, for me, in my mind, had this ability that I didn't have. And it was always about me being um, less than and me being um, incapable. And it was about me getting the short end of the stick, basically. Look at all these people that can sort of happily uh, go out all night. And it wasn't, and for me, the funny thing was, it was never about feeling tired. I didn't care if I felt tired. I just didn't want to look tired. And that was the issue. That was the funny thing. There's a lot of kind of personality traits or skills and capabilities, but all focused on that one feature, which is really interesting to me because I think a lot of the time it's assumed in the press and media that insecurities always come from seeing a picture in a magazine. So Amara, you're kind of raising awareness with your 365-day photo archive of your recovery. Can you explain a bit about this project and who's taking the photos and where does that come from? Yeah, so essentially, um, I mentioned before about going to support groups and the difference that that made to me um, or for me. And it was, you know, th and there are these support groups out there and it's amazing just to um, be in a space with people who, who get it. Um, and so the BDD Foundation, they um, 
run a conference, an annual conference, which is dedicated to body dysmorphic disorder and looking at various aspects of it and various possibilities for treatment. It's a really great conference. It's only and it's only one of its kind in the world. And so on November the 26th, we had the, the second annual conference. And I just took the decision that I really wanted to um, launch this campaign. And it came out of um, me suddenly realizing that I'd already been on a journey and a lot of my journey has involved dance and it's really made a difference for me in terms of being self-confident. Um, and I kind of went away from the support groups and I was like, you know, basically it was kind of like, I'm good now, I don't really need them. But I suddenly realized that there were still people that needed the support. There were still people that weren't, um, hadn't, were still sort of struggling and, uh, you know, with their journey. And that I kind of got that it was really remiss of me just to sort of go, oh, I've got what I need and just to go away. So I launched at the conference this campaign, which is, yeah, it's called In the Face of BDD. And it's a 365-day campaign. So, And basically what I'm doing is every single day I'm sharing with somebody new about BDD because there is still woefully little known about it and very few people have heard of it, even though it actually affects sort of 2%, 1 in 50 people. And I share with them about BDD and I invite them to take a photograph of me. So it's incredibly simple, but really powerful for me, particularly because, you know, I used to be a mirror avoider. So BDD, people with BDD generally fall into two categories, mirror gazers, where they get stuck in the mirror for five, six, seven hours. And again, nothing to do with vanity. Or mirror avoiders, where it's so uh, confronting and hideous to you that you avoid the mirror entirely. And I was more of that. And I would avoid pictures. So if somebody took out a camera, I would just suddenly conveniently disappear. So it's a real sort of victory over that past for me to be having these photos taken. And every day I have the photo taken, I share about BDD. And I write about the experience and I deliberately avoid writing about what I think of the photograph um, or have anything that's sort of still given by the BDD thoughts, which are still there. You know, there's pictures that I don't like, the majority of them, to be honest, but that's not what it's about. It's about talking about the experience of sharing. And it's been really wonderful having, um, I've shared with family, I've shared with friends, I've shared with absolute complete strangers. Um, and the reason I'm doing it and the reason that sharing is so important is because the biggest thing actually was the living in shame. It was feeling like I was a fraud because I wasn't being open about what I was going through and I put a sort of brave face on it. And But fundamentally because there was that fear that if I were to be honest, then of course rejection would follow and it would be confirmed that I looked the way that I felt that I looked. Whereas now every day I share and not only does rejection not follow, there's a huge amount of acceptance and love and support. And that includes from the strangers. Particularly interesting responses from people, you know, young people, people who haven't heard of it before. Yeah, I mean, some of them have been amazing. I've even shared with somebody who has BDD, um, you know, and was like, thank you. I've shared, you know, I'm as, as well as the, the daily photograph that I'm sharing in general. So you sort of, in the campaign, you only see sort of the one person each day. But, and I've had people come up to me um, and say, you know, I think I might have this. Um, I've had people email me from like the, the Swiss Alps. Um, and I had, you know, the most amazing conversation with, you know, literally a guy who lived, owns the cafe around the corner from me. 
um, who did know about BDD have done it. This is day 61 and very few people have, but he did. And just sharing about, talking about mental health in general and sort of breaking that stigma. And again, just that main thing of so much support. I haven't had a single negative reaction. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show to tell us all about it. Um, we you. really appreciate it. It's really inspiring. Please do follow um, Amari on Instagram. Um, you are... I'm um, at Omazi. Not the easiest thing to spell, but it's O-M-A-Z-I-E, at Omazi. Great. And that's all we have time for this evening, unfortunately. We're going to play out. We've got our final track, uh, which I believe is um, a favourite of mine, Michael Jackson, <laughs> Man in the Mirror. And thanks for listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. Bye. 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 Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.